Please turn with me in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. I'm sorry, verses 1 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 8. We live in a culture... We live in a culture that's normalized sexual immorality. We are constantly flooded, constantly flooded with pictures and words and songs and advertisements that are constantly bombarding us with the thought that sexual immorality is normal, that it's healthy, that it's, that it's at least unavoidable. If everyone is doing it, how can I be expected to abstain? And because we live in the middle of a flood of immorality, every one of us is in danger of being totally swept away by it. So what is it that we need? We need constant reminders and constant warnings. Constant reality checks that bring truth and reality and right and wrong back into sharp focus. So that in the midst of this culture that bombards us with lies about sexual purity and sexual immorality, we can see once again clearly what is it that God calls us to and why. And that's exactly what we have here in this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Follow along as I read these words. Finally, brethren, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this Disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. God does three things for us in this passage. He tells us what sexual immorality is. He tells us why to avoid sexual immorality. And he tells us how. First of all, what is it? What is sexual immorality? He tells us in verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That word translated sexual immorality is the same Greek word behind our word pornography. Some translations use the word fornication. What it means is any and all forms, any and all forms of unlawful sexual activity. Now I know that um, even though most of the younger kids have gone out, I know there are still children in the service, and I... Some of what I say to you kids is going to be plain to you. Some of it won't be. I want you children to be sure to ask your mom and dad about what you don't understand in the sermon this morning. Now, what do I mean by unlawful sexual activity? Well, I'm talking about two people acting as if they're married when they're not married. A man and a woman touching each other, sleeping together in a way that God designed only for a man or a woman who are married together to do. Or a man touching a man or a woman touching a woman in ways that God designed only for a man and a woman who are married to each other. God said that this close physical relationship is for a married man and woman only. 
So sexual immorality includes sexual relations before marriage and wrong sexual relations among married people. Children, it means this. Your mom may not go live with another man as her husband. Your dad may not go live with another woman as his wife. That's why God tells us in the Ten Commandments, He says, you shall not commit adultery. That's what that means. Paul, though, has a lot more in mind than just this outward physical act here, doesn't he? He says, he doesn't just think of the only type of sexual sin as the act of sleeping with a woman who's not your wife or or with a man who's not your husband. Look at the beginning of verse 5. He says, we are to live not in the passion of lust. So the issue here is not just outward behavior. It's also this internal sexual desire, internal sexual desires that dominate your life in ways they shouldn't. Now, for us in that culture, what does that mean? Well, of course, it means the desires that lead to the use of pornography, for example. Uh, Desires that lead to this, this life of fantasy in the mind. And everything that goes along with that, both for men and for women. I am, I'm increasingly amazed at how widespread and common that kind of thing is. And it's widespread and common not just out there, not just out there in the world of non-Christians, but even here in the church, even in this church. And if you think that pornography is some isolated Rare thing, something, you know, that only appeals to dirty old men in in dark alleys somewhere. Then you're totally naive. It is a problem of normal looking men and women, people just like you and me, people that you see every day, maybe, maybe people you live with every day. And you must be aware of it and see it for what it is. God says sexual immorality is any and all kinds of unlawful sexual activity, things you actually do, and... It's the internal desires that drive and feed and result in that kind of unlawful sexual activity. That's what it is. Now, why should we be concerned about it? What's the big deal? You know, after all, isn't this just normal? Isn't this just the natural expression of hormones and drives and desires? Isn't it harmful to repress those things? Don't we hurt people when we tell them not to act out the things they want to do? Isn't it better to to free people from their sexual repression by telling them it's okay to do whatever comes naturally and whatever feels good? That is certainly what we're going to hear from all angles in our culture, isn't it? That is what you students here at IU are going to hear in your classes, thanks to that great hero, Alfred Kinsey. If you don't know who he is, thank God for it. But is it better to free people from their so-called sexual repression by telling them it's okay to do whatever comes naturally and whatever feels good? Well, look at what God says. God gives reasons for turning away from this sexual immorality. In this passage, He gives five reasons, five motivations to passionately fight the battle against lust and sexual immorality. Let's look at them. Number one, the motivation of pleasing God. Look at verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. He's talking about sexual immorality and sexual purity, and he says that sexual purity pleases God. 
And if you're a Christian, that is exactly what you want. You want to please God. You want the pleasure of unbroken fellowship with this God who created you and pitied you and saved you and washed you by His blood and gave you an inheritance. Why would you want to keep on doing something that you know grieves Him and denies all the goodness that He has already lavished on you? One of the distinguishing marks of a true Christian is this desire to be pleasing to God, to obey Him, out of free love and with gladness. Not just to get something from Him or even just to avoid His displeasure, but to actually give Him pleasure. That's what you want, isn't it? Isn't that what you want? You want to please God. That's what you want if you're a Christian. Not perfectly, not exclusively, but down in the depths of your soul, that is exactly what you want. Paul tells us, If you want to be pleasing to God, here is how. You turn away from lust and sexual immorality. It pleases God. Number two, the motivation of doing the will of God. Look at verse three. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Holiness or sanctification Sanctification means holiness. It means living out life in the details of life in a way that is pleasing to God, in a way that that fits with God's law, that fits with God's righteousness. This holiness, this sanctification in the realm of sexual purity is the will of God for you. Over and over and over again, God commands us and calls us to sexual purity. There can be absolutely no confusion on this subject in God's Word. I was struck again as I was studying this passage by how often the apostles stress over and over again this issue of sexual purity. If you read the New Testament, when the apostles begin to, to speak of living the Christian life, what is the thing they always make a beeline to? They always, almost always, the very first issue they go after is this issue of sexual immorality. Romans 13, 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. 1 Corinthians 6.18 Flee from sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 10.8 We must not indulge in sexual immorality. Galatians 5.19 Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Ephesians 5.3 and 4 But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Colossians 3.5 Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Over and over and over and over again, God commands us To avoid sexual immorality, to flee from it, to not indulge in it, to not even let it be named among you, to put it to death. This is God's will for us. Abstain from sexual immorality. And if you're a Christian, if you've been made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit, if if you've known the sweet and the full and the gracious forgiveness of Jesus Christ, if you've turned away from your own self-righteousness, if you've come to the end of your hopes in yourself, if you've embraced Jesus Christ alone as your only hope, 
Your only hope for salvation from the righteous wrath of God against your sins, if you're a Christian, then you want to do God's will, don't you? Your cry is the cry of Psalm 40, verse 8. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my heart. Your cry is the cry of Psalm 143.10. Teach me to do your will, O God. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Your sincere prayer is that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, O God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You hear these words, words like this from 1 Peter 4, 1-2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You hear words like that and you say, Amen to that. Yes, that's what I want. I urge you, abstain from sexual immorality and from the passion of lust. Why? Because this is the will of God for you. Number three, the motive of honor. Look at verse four. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Sexual purity honors God. And... It honors the men and women around you who are made in the image of God. Just think about how dishonoring sexual immorality is. Even if you never actually do any kind of outward act, think of how dishonoring lust is. It reduces a human being made in the image of God to an object, a a product, for you to use or abuse as you see fit. Think of how looking at pornography utterly debases and degrades and demeans the humanity of the person on the screen or on the page or in the video, it turns them into a commodity. It turns them into an item for your consumption. How many of us, how many of us see ourselves as enlightened, progressive people because, for example, we hate our forefathers' practice of slavery We look at our forefathers, we look at their practice of slavery, and we say, how could they possibly do that? How could they possibly degrade and demean the humanity of those people? But at the very same time, we tolerate or even enjoy pornography. Tell me, how are they different? How how are they different? Both slavery and pornography dishonor the very humanity of men and women who are made in the image of God. And God says you must learn to control your body in holiness and honor. You must honor God and you must honor the people that are made in the image of God. Number four, the motive of Christian love. Look at the first part of verse six. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. You see, when, we're, when we sin sexually, we're not seeking the highest good of others, are we? 
We're not seeking the highest good of the the man or the woman that we're sinning with. We're not seeking the highest good of the person we fantasize about. We're not seeking the highest good of the person in the pornography who had to debase themselves in order to make that work. We're not seeking the highest good of the husband or the wife or the father of any of those people. It is not Christian love that motivates us in any kind of sexual immorality or lust. It's only and always a love of self. But Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says in Romans 12, verses 9 and 10, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. He said in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, Let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. Now tell me, can you misuse your girlfriend's body out of love? Can you misuse your fiancé's body out of love? Can you look at pornography out of love? Can you leer at the guys of the girls on campus out of love? The Apostle Paul uses very strong language. He says in 1 John, or the Apostle John, 1 John 4.20, he says, If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You see what he's saying there, don't you? How can you claim to love God? God, if you wrong your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your fiancé, how can you claim to love God if you wrong the father or the husband or the wife of the person you're fornicating with? How can you claim to love God if you treat the girl walking through the campus or or the girl in the magazine or the, the girl in the website like a piece of meat for your consumption? How can you claim to love God and do that at the same time? Christians love people. That is the One overwhelming characteristic of a man or a woman who has been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is love for other people. That doesn't mean we do that perfectly. But the Apostle John does say with authority and with penetrating clarity, he says, whoever does not love abides in death. Abstain from sexual immorality. Why? Why? Because it never springs from Christian love. Number five. The motive of God's vengeance. Look at the end of verse six. The end of verse six, Paul says, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Brothers and sisters, that really does mean exactly what it says. There is a connection between your holiness, yes, even your sexual holiness, and your salvation. As Hebrews 12:14 says, there really is, there really is a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. God makes that connection for us over and over and over again in His Word. Listen very carefully. If you you have your Bible open, turn to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. And listen very closely to what Jesus says and see the connection. 
Matthew 5:27 through 30. Matthew 5:27 You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart Now that's where we we usually stop isn't it He keeps going and he doesn't change the subject Look at the next verse If your right eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away He's still talking about the same thing For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Do you see what he's saying? He is clearly saying that heaven and hell are at stake in what you do with your eyes and with the thoughts of your imagination. He says... Don't think that sexual immorality is just this outward thing. Don't think that adultery is just this act that you can do on the outside so that you can say, oh no, I never had sex with that woman. Because you didn't do some act on the outside. Jesus says it's lustful intent. And He says, if you don't do battle with your lust, if you don't take that lust so seriously that you would, as it were, rip your eye out and throw it away, and as it were, chop your hand off and throw it away. If you don't take your lust that seriously, what does he say? It is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. The Apostle Paul says the same kind of thing over and over again. Listen to these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Don't let anyone lie to you. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, and so on. He says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The author of the book of Hebrews says the exact same thing in Hebrews 13.4. He says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Why? For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now listen. Think about it. Can, can God's Word be any clearer than that? Over and over and over again, there is this plain and direct connection between sexual immorality and eternal condemnation. Now, I know what most of you are thinking. I know that most of you are thinking something like this. Are you saying that a person can lose his salvation? Or are you saying that justification depends on works? That is not what I'm saying. Okay? But there are tons of professing Christians who have a view of salvation that totally disconnects it from real life. 
that nullifies these plain warnings of the Bible and puts the sinning person who claims to be a Christian totally beyond the reach of all of these biblical threats. And that kind of doctrine is comforting thousands of people on their way to hell. Jesus said, if you don't fight lust, you won't go to heaven. Paul said the Lord is an avenger in all these things. If you give yourself to sexual sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Don't lop off those verses because they don't fit your system. Stretch your theology so that your theology is big enough to hold those warnings and still let them be real, genuine, pointed warnings. No, your justification before God does not depend on your works. You must come to Him with an empty hand and a humble heart. But when God freely accepts you in His Son, He accepts you with an agenda. He will not let you spurn Him and reject Him and rebel against Him. He will give you a new heart. And He will put His Spirit in you and He will cause you to walk in His ways and cause you to obey His commandments. And if that means nothing to you, if God's clear command for you to pursue sexual purity and to abstain from sexual immorality, if all of that falls on deaf ears, you are the rightful recipient of these stern warnings. You have no right to claim the forgiveness of God if you're stiff-arming the commandments of God. Because God has given you His Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, don't harden your hearts against God's clear call to sexual purity. He gives you every motive, every reason to abstain from it. It pleases God. It's the will of God. It honors God and those made in His image. It expresses Christian love and it avoids God's vengeance. And this isn't just my opinion. If you blow off this sermon, you're not just ignoring me. Look what he says in verse 8. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. Whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Don't disregard God. Don't blow Him off. Now, here's the most important question we could ask of this passage. You hear these commands. You see these warnings. You hear over and over and over and over again these calls to sexual purity and these, these, this condemnation of, of sexual immorality. And what do you do? How can you do this? How can I abstain from sexual immorality? How can I live not in the passion of lust? The answer is right here for us in this passage. Look at verses 4 and 5. Verse 4, he says, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Do you see it there? Don't act, he says, don't act like Gentiles. Don't, like, don't act like unbelievers. Don't act like those unbelievers who do not know God. 
When you give way to the passion of lust, you act like people who don't know God. Which means that knowing God is the path to sexual purity. I don't mean knowing facts about God. There are hundreds of high-level, educated, academic theologians in this world who've left their wives. And you say, what do you mean knowing God keeps you from sexual immorality? Well, I will say to you, they don't know God. I'm not talking about academic data. I'm talking about knowing God. Knowing Him as a person. Knowing Him as your Father. Knowing Him as the kind of God who enters into personal, intimate relationship with sinners like you and me. Knowing God like that is the path to sexual purity. Now, how does that work? What is it about knowing God like that that will enable you to abstain from sexual immorality? In what ways do I need to know Him? There are two things, and there are many more. I just want to give you two things this morning. Two things about God that will strengthen you in this fight if you embrace them and cling to them. Number one, know how pleasurable God is. Know how pleasurable God is. Knowing God enables you to abstain from sexual immorality because knowing God gives you pleasure. Not temporary, hollow, deceptive pleasure, but eternal, solid, genuine pleasure. Think about this with me for a moment. What is the bait on the hook of sexual immorality? What bait is on the hook? What lure is used to draw us into sexual immorality? It's pleasure, isn't it? You are never tempted to sin sexually with the bait of pain or ruin or disaster. You know, sexual immorality doesn't walk up and whisper into your ear, oh, come on, do it. You know, you'll be miserable. You'll end in eternal ruin. Your path will end in death. Oh, great. Yeah, let's go. What does it do? It comes to you and it says, come on, you'll do it. You'll, you'll be happy. Just one little peak. One little peak will actually make you happy, won't it? Go ahead and, go ahead and cross the line. Go ahead and go a little further. It'll make you feel good. It'll give you pleasure. How do you fight against that? One way, a major way, a powerful way, maybe the only way to fight against lust's promise of pleasure is to see that real pleasure is found in knowing God and loving God and walking in fellowship with God. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Temptation comes to you and says, come on, come on, pleasure. Just do this. Just look at this. No. That is not the path to pleasure. Pleasure is found in God. There's fullness of joy with God. There is eternal pleasure forever at God's right hand. I, I don't believe that lie. No. Psalm 36, 7 and 8. How precious is your steadfast love, O God, The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. Oh God, there is 
there is a feast to be had for me. If I, if I come to you, there's a feast to be had. There's a, a river of delight to drink from. If I walk with you, oh God, show me that pleasure. Show me that delight. Show me that fullness. There really is eternal pleasure in God. There really is fullness of joy in Him. You really can feast on the abundance of His house and drink of His river of delight. It's a river of delight. Not drudgery, not slugging it out, but delight. And if you don't see God that way, no wonder you struggle with sexual immorality because sexual immorality looks a lot more pleasurable than God if you haven't tasted that. The more you taste that eternal, solid, genuine pleasure and delight and fullness that come from an intimate relationship with God, the more equipped you are to say no to the empty, deceptive temptations of lust and sexual immorality. If you have tasted the best steak, the juiciest, most tender steak, or if you don't like steak, fill in the blank, if you've tasted the best example of luscious steak, Spam isn't going to look all that good anymore, is it? That's exactly how we fight against these temptations to sexual impurity. There is fullness of joy in God. Not temporary, hollow, deceptive, so-called pleasure that leaves me with a broken heart and a bad taste in my mouth. But real, lasting, solid pleasure. So fight lust first by knowing how pleasurable God is. And secondly, fight lust by knowing how powerful God is. If you have your Bible open to 1 Thessalonians 4, look just up at the end of chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians 3, 11-13. First Thessalonians 3.11 Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. Do you hear the promise and the hope and the power in those words? Do you see what He's praying for? Do you see what He's saying? The Lord will make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. The Lord will make you abound in love. Jesus Christ will establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. Your holiness is the work of Christ by His Almighty Spirit. Yes, you must pray for it. Yes, you must fight for it. But in the end, be encouraged. You are not left to yourself to win this war. Know and embrace and hope in God's power that is at work in you who believe in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, there is hope, there is mercy, there is power, and there's forgiveness for those who struggle with sexual sin. Some of you have struggled with it this week. I don't know who you are. 
I know in a group this big, made up of the kind of people that are here, I know that some of you have struggled with this this week. There is hope for you. There is power for you. There is forgiveness for you. There is cleansing for you. There is strength and grace for you in Jesus Christ. But there's also a warning for you. There's a warning for you who disregard God and who think that you can live a life of lust and immorality and spurn God's commands. And I plead with you, do not disregard God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. You have not been called for impurity, but for holiness. And if you're here as a person who does not know the forgiveness and the power and the hope that come from knowing God, if all of this is new to you, if you've never experienced any of this before, if you've never experienced all of the forgiveness and the hope and the power and the joy that come from knowing God through Jesus Christ, then your greatest need is to turn to Him right now and to turn to Him for mercy. Your greatest need is to turn away from your rebellion, away from your sin, away from your self-righteousness that says you know better and you can handle it, and to trust in Jesus' life and death in your place. And if you do that, you will be a person who knows the true and living God. And you will find pleasure and power in Him. And you will be able to abstain from sexual immorality. God holds out to you the promise of life, power, blessing, forgiveness, joy, true pleasure. Don't walk away from here and, and blow it off. If any of you have struggles, I want to close just with this encouragement. If any of you have struggles with any of these kinds of sins, We need each other, don't we? And we're here for you. If any of you have questions, if you want to know more about trusting in Jesus Christ, even for the first time, if you want to pray with someone, if you want someone to be accountable to, if you want someone to encourage you and to help you with these kinds of sins, I want you to seek us out. Seek out me or the other pastors, the other elders. Dave Carell is here. The elders, the the men and women who... God has placed in this body. Seek us out. We are here to help you. We're not here to crush you. We're not here to despise you or to disgrace you or to look down on you. We're here to put our arms around your shoulder and help you. Come and find your help and your hope in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together and ask for God's help.